Welcome to The Paleo View. I'm bestselling author and co-creator of realeverything.com, Stacey Toth. I focus on being healthy inside and out through real life, food, and talk. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times bestselling author and creator of thepaleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Welcome back, listeners, to the Paleo View. We're excited. We're back and on a regular schedule again. Mm-hmm. And this morning, America's royal baby, the, f- the first of like my generation, because I think the last one was maybe Princess Grace. Monaco's a little different in terms of its country. So is this our first English baby? Fourth. It's our fourth. fourth. There you go. You know things. <laughs> Diana wasn't ours, right? Diana wasn't America's. Who's the other three? Uh, oh, oh, I see. I see where you're going. I, I see. Because Meghan Markle's American Canadian that uh, – yeah. Okay. I see. So you're not counting – See, this is my Canadianness because Canada is a Commonwealth country. So I just say all of the babies are are, are your babies. No, America doesn't get those babies. Uh-huh. You're saying you're saying this prince, this prince is half American, and that's pretty darn cool, is what you're saying. Yeah, that's what I'm yeah. saying. Okay, got it. I'm totally, I'm totally with you now. I don't have my king of useless trivia and history scholar Matthew McCary here to confirm for me, and I'm sure our listeners no, will correct I, me. Um, uh, Megan was the first American to marry into the royal family. Okay, that's what so, I thought. Yeah. Uh, so when um, King George, uh, Queen Elizabeth's the- uncle, abdicated. What was mm-hmm. his name? George. This, George. Is, this, George. Is, this is not yeah. something I'm I'm knowledge okay. on. So when he abdicated um, the throne, and then Queen Elizabeth's dad became king then um he his um life partner oh, sure you know what I, she I was an american but totally that was like why did he was learn that abdicate. i learned yeah. that on the crown that's how right? i learned all that yeah. uh, that's just how all of us are learning our um, <laughs> royal family history now and the new season is coming soon it's so exciting this um, is not relevant to our podcast not at, at all, all. So, we're doing like an entertainment podcast right now i, I mean, it, all of it was in short to say we were America's first baby, royal baby. But then I was like, maybe that's not right. And I was going to ask you if you were drinking the queen's tea. That's where I was going with it. And it ended up being a lot more complicated. As a matter of fact, I am drinking the queen's tea. There you go. Because it, it, it just felt right. It just it felt right. feels like the right time to mm-hmm. pour yourself a spot of tea and celebrate. Uh, wonderful. Now that we've gotten all of that silliness behind <laughs> us all of that <laughs> off our chest and we've lost half our listeners we should mention that this week's episode of the podcast is graciously sponsored by butcher box yay i love butcher box and i was a resistant customer for a really long time um i think we've we've talked about them before in the podcast and i've talked about how you know we we wrote the book on you know farmed, sustainable, humanely raised meat and how that's important. And what's great about ButcherBox is that it's a 
wonderful addition to what I have and it just arrives and I'm like, oh good, because I could not eat any more pork if someone forced me, if I got something earlier or whatever, right? Like what is fantastic is that like any subscription service, it arrives on your doorstep at seemingly just the right time. And <laughs> um, we actually... It, it does do that. I have to say, every time I was like, oh, my butcher box is here. And I was like, perfect, because I had nothing to cook for dinner. Like every single exactly. time. Yeah. I'm like opening up my box to be like, what's going to thaw fast enough to, to cook for dinner tonight? Well, and part of the reason that I was a little resistant was because I thought that it was just like a box that they would send you and you didn't really have much input into it. But we get something called a custom box and we're you get a certain number of cuts based on the size of box that you choose. And then we're able to select, mix and match the things that we want. So if we know that there's certain recipes that we love or certain cuts that the family prefers that we're getting low on or don't have any in the freezer, I focus on those. And it's super convenient to just arrive at the door and I know that the quality is good. And I don't think that we've had to buy basically any meat from grocery stores since we started doing that, Um, which is just such a time saver and a money saver when it comes to waste and, Mm -hmm. you know, getting high quality at a good price and all that stuff. So I was going to say, I actually am like the opposite of you in two ways. So I would say I, rather than butcher box augmenting um, the other meat that I'm buying, it's almost the opposite. So, you know, I, I, I would say a, a, very substantial portion of the meat that I eat in a month comes from my butcher box. But also, I like the surprise box. So I have a few add-ons that I've added to my box. So they're the same. So I get a little bit of extra ground uh, grass-fed ground beef every month because um, we go through that. Um, I get some extra bacon because bacon. Um, and I get extra pork chops. So like, there's there's a few things that I've added onto my box that I get every single month. But then the the main part of my box is the surprise box where butcher box just sends you some fun stuff and i actually really like the like i had um ribs in my box this month and i was like perfect for a mother's day barbecue like it was i just um i i really like the surprise and really like um i feel like my cooking is more inspired when i someone else is choosing for me. I think if I'm making my own choice, we get into a rut where we're eating the same things all the time. And not that we don't have favorites that we don't cycle through, but I like, I like the surprise. So that's, that's, I think that's my, my preferred way to use my butcher box. I think what we're trying to say is it's it's really flexible and could work for you. And we're going to be talking about stress on this show. And one of the things that we tried to do, I think late last year and into this year is reduce the things in our life that cause stress and were weighing heavily on us. And this was one of those things that I was just not partaking in. And as soon as I did, um, was like, wow, this was such a no brainer. Why didn't I do this sooner? (laughs) So, um, (laughs) And what's really great is that you can stop at any time. Just because you subscribe doesn't mean that you can't. Like when we went to Europe, we put our box on hold. You know, mm-hmm. like you don't, you're not forced into anything. So um, what I will say is if you wanted to give it a try, even if just for that first month and if it's not for you, you don't have to continue. But like us, you might be like, oh, this was really fantastic. Um, oh, and and such good meat. Like it's not, it's convenient, but it's also, they're really high quality. Products. Yeah, absolutely. So good. 
Listeners, if you are interested in trying it out, you can get $15 off your first box plus free bacon. Free bacon! Uh, Sorry, that just required it required a, required an exclamation point. Sorry, and I think that bacon is not only is it AIP, but it's whole thirty, so it doesn't have any sugar or nitrates. So, um, those of you who are on any sort of elimination diets, it'll be friendly for you, and you can use you can get that discount by going to butcherbox.com/slash/thepaleoview. Again, that's butcherbox.com/slash/thepaleoview for. off and free bacon. There's no coupon code or anything like that. You have to go to that link to get the deal. Cool. Let's talk about stress. Baby. Is that what you were hoping me to do? uh You're welcome. Mm -hmm. And and you did it. And then we just lost the other half of our listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Tom Tom is still listening. You know, Tom is still listening. And Tom got a second shout out out, and he's like super excited again. Tom and everyone else who's still here, we love you. Um, So this was actually a social media request. Um, As we say, we love love you all. We love when you reach out to us and want us to talk about things. Sarah and I, years ago, talked about this on AHS. Mm -hmm. And um, we did like a a joint presentation. And the irony was that I had like missed my flight on the way there and had so much stress and zero sleep because I didn't realize that the room I had selected was a dorm room and the bed was horrifying. And I was like with a bunch of college students who were up at the wrong hours for me. Um, And I had gone from East to West Coast and I was operating on like two hours of sleep. And did not do well that weekend at all, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the irony of like doing that stress um, presentation and being under so much stress is not lost on me. But um, so it's good for us to revisit it. And in addition to that, I had talked about in social media. So I had my one month anniversary, so to speak, of um, working for myself as of last month, uh, last week. And I wasn't sure how it was going to go. I think I told, I told everyone pretty clearly, like, it might be the kind of thing where I'm like, and I'm done. <laughs> um, or it might be the kind of thing that I love and we change our lives in order to make it be a permanent thing. And so um, coming out of the one month mark, I had so many um, positives from a health perspective. You know, I was getting more sleep, um, which allowed me, not only was I getting more sleep, but I had time to go to the Y and do water aerobics. I had time to juve and do red light therapy. Um, I had time to connect with people on, you know, a greater way. I've been having, you know, more phone calls and conversations and, um, just things like that, that I wasn't able to do before because my schedule was like a hundred percent work essentially. Um, And all of that led to me losing 10 pounds without changing anything else about what it was I was doing with my life. Um, And so it was... And that's in a month. That's... Yeah, in a month. Wow. And I had gone on vacation where we had gelato and um, (laughs) all kinds of treats on a regular basis. So um, for me, it was a really obvious sign that my body was too stressed before and hormones were getting back into a place where they were healthier and happier and all that kind of stuff. And so um, as I talked about it in social media a bit, 
people asked if we could talk about the science of that and the science mm-hmm. uh, that stress plays on our health, because we've mentioned it so many times before. Um, and it is one of those things that's known in popular culture as well. I mean, I've seen countless things on the internet, like stress is the number one killer. Um, because it leads to so many other things like stroke and heart attack and right. stuff like that. So, um, I'm excited for this show, but I, I think I'm especially excited because I'm mentally prepared to not walk away from the show you're, thinking... You're not doing it from a place of irony. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes we get off a show and Matt and I, or he'll, you know, he'll listen to the show back and he'll be like, so we're going to need to go to bed earlier or whatever, you know, but like, I'm feeling really good about it because I'm like, yes, I'm implementing these things and it is true. Um, so I hope that you can implement whatever part of this feels good to you and not walk away listeners feeling more stressed about the fact that you have stress because that doesn't do you any no, good at all. that's not helpful. Yeah. Um, but I think also one of the things, like when you said, let's talk about stress, I was like, like it seemed to me, it felt like really we've, we've never done this deep dive on the show before. Like we haven't really gone through all of the different ways that chronic stress impacts our body. And I think that like, it's sort of a step one, admit I have a problem. I think uh, you and I have, you know, we've for many years now, six six plus years of podcasting. Are we, yeah, we're coming up to seven years of podcasting. P.S. Last episode was 350 and we like made zero deals of it. That's, kind of a big deal. <laughs> it's kind of a big deal. Uh, so let's, we'll celebrate um, retroactively this this week. Woohoo! We've podcasted a whole bunch. Um, but it seems like, I think it's one of those things that it's sort of, I chronically struggle with stress. Like that is my biggest challenge in terms of implementing healthy diet and lifestyle is the stress piece. And, um, and I've been working for myself this whole time. Uh, and it's still, it's, it's, it's my, it's my, um, just, it's my type a personality, want to be everything to everyone, feel that kind of responsibility. That's my challenge. What, what are you talking about? I know. No, it's no one's familiar with that. And so, it's hard sometimes to talk about something that's so personal. And this really is like, I'm going to go through the science, but as I listen to this, you know, and I know all of this, I, um, I want to be completely upfront that I also really struggle with a lot of the implementation. So we'll start with like what stress actually does to the body and why it's so terrible and what stress actually is. So sometimes we think that stress is just uh, psychological stress, but actually different types of stress compound and then we'll talk about some strategies to both um, reduce stress and um, increase resilience to stress, which I kind of put under the collective umbrella of stress management, because sometimes reducing stress is not as easy as actually making our bodies more resilient to it. So we'll talk about that as well. But the, the obvious place to start is, is just talking about the HPA axis. So uh, some people might have heard this. It's one of those buzzwords, right? So like the the term adrenal fatigue is now sort of being rebranded as uh, HPA axis dysfunction. And that's because um, there's many different ways that our adrenal glands can be up to shenanigans. And that actually impacts the details of how stress is impacting our body. And so adrenal fatigue just wasn't, it wasn't um, a robust enough term to encapsulate all of the different ways that our HPA axis can be dysregulated and not um, not working normally, basically. So there's a lot of different ways that the HP axis can 
break down or be out of balance. And that changes exactly the symptoms that we're, we're suffering from, from chronic stress. Um, but what the HPA axis is, is it is our fight or flight response. It is how our, our bodies detect danger and prepare to respond to it. And so this involves the crosstalk between a couple of regions in the brain, the pituitary gland, which is in the brain, and our adrenal glands, which are actually just, they just sit on top of our kidneys. And our adrenal glands are responsible for producing all of the hormones that are associated with stress, like adrenaline and like cortisol, uh, like norepinephrine. They also produce uh, androgens, especially testosterone and progesterone. So they also have a, a sex hormone production function as well. So what happens is, uh, the hippocampus is the area in our brain. That's not the H in HPA. So this is like the, the hippocampus feeds into the HPA axis. Uh, the hippocampus is the part of the brain that assembles information and makes decisions. So the hippocampus would say, see that lion that is chasing us and go, hey, hypothalamus, another region of the brain, uh, activate. So the hypothalamus is the region of the brain that um, is actually the hypothalamus and the pituitary. There's a lot of hormonal axes in the body that start with hypo hypothalamus and pituitary. So these are uh, regions of the brain that actually connect with every hormone system. And it basically is why every hormone system is um, impacted by things like stress. It's because of what happens in the hypothalamus. So the hypothalamus is the H in the HPA axis. And it, when it gets its signal from the hippocampus to say, lion, ah, terrible, run away, it releases a hormone called corticotropin releasing hormone or CRH for short, which doesn't have to go very far. It actually gets into our bloodstream, but really the, the organ that is receiving that signal is the pituitary gland, still in the brain. And the pituitary gland is like the middle management for all of our hormone systems. So the hypothalamus is like the top manager. Pituitary gland is the middle, man middle management. It um, receives the signal from CRH and it produces another hormone called adrenocorticotropic hormone or ACTH for short. That gets into the bloodstream and goes to the adrenal glands. And that's the signal to the adrenal glands to start pumping out cortisol and things like adrenaline. Cortisol then... Is, is part of what's called a negative feedback loop. So cortisol gets into the blood. It does all of the, some, you know, good things if you're trying to survive from a lion, bad things if your stress is chronic and unrelenting. It uh, goes back to the brain and tells uh, the pituitary gland and the hypothalamus, uh, got it, got the signal, adrenal glands are, we're, we're, we're on it. Like, no worries. Stop yelling at us. We got it. So, um, so this is part of this feedback system. And what's true in the body um, for a lot of these types of feedback systems is when it's always on, we become resistant to the signal. So one of the things that happens is as, say, for example, it, it, specifically the HPA axis, um, if our adrenal glands can't keep up with the demand, and this is where you would start calling this HPA axis dysfunction or what used to be called adrenal fatigue, and can't produce cortisol, you lose that negative feedback. And so you end up making a lot more corticotropin-releasing hormone and adrenocorticotropic hormone. So some of the effects of stress are mediated through cortisol or adrenaline, but some of them are also mediated through these like higher-level signaling hormones. So it's not always 
all about cortisol. So I'm going to kind of lump together some of these effects, but actually some of the most detrimental effects of chronic stress are not actually from cortisol itself. It's from corticotropin releasing hormone. So I, I just want to sort of give people that bigger picture of it's this entire axis that when we're under chronic stress and this axis is turned on all the time and we're pumping out all of these hormones into our bloodstream chronically all, all day, every day, um, it's the collective action of all of these hormones that is causing so much problems. But it comes from a place of, right, it comes from fight or flight. So if you think about acute stress, which is why the system exists, the system exists to increase our survival during a, a dangerous situation. So that lion is chasing us. So what happens in acute stress is uh, essential functions for survival are prioritized. So that includes things like perception, decision-making, rapid decision-making, uh, so like instinctual decisions, uh, energy for our muscles, preparation for wound healing, right? Things that would help us survive, uh, help us either run away from that lion, help us fight back, help us kill it, um, help us heal, uh, or at least start healing if we got, you know, scratched or something. I used that word instead of mauled because I thought mauled was a little bit too graphic. Um, so we prioritized- But then ended up function. using I'm that still, anyway. Still, I still went with it. I just, yeah, okay. I'm going to keep going. Um so what happens then is functions that are not essential for immediate survival in that situation uh, are not prioritized. Uh, so that means things like digestion, kidney function, reproductive functions, growth, collagen formation, bone formation, protein synthesis, amino acid uptake by muscles, um, and also if, um, impacts on the central nervous system that are not going to help us in that, right? So things like uh, how uh, these hormones are impacting our mood, our motivation, our fear, right? So think about um, uh, how that would change, how that would be necessary to impact survival in an acute stress situation. And then think about what happens when that signal is never turned off, those what are non-essential functions in a runaway from alliance situation are never prioritized. And so actually this collection of uh, hormones that are part of the HPA axis end up controlling basically every system in our body. So cortisol is a super hormone. Uh, we've talked about super hormones on, on the show before, like insulin is another super hormone that does a bunch of different things, right? Cortisol is also an important regulator of our circadian rhythms. So when our cortisol is really high, our sleep quality is uh, typically eroded. But cortisol controls um, metabolism through impacting thyroid function. It controls digestion. It's impacting the composition of the gut microbiome. It directly... Um, impacts insulin sensitivity. So when your cortisol is high, you have insulin resistance, which leads to diabetes. It's impacting sex hormone production and sex hormone signaling. So um, basically hindering reproductive functions. It's impacting uh, growth hormone. That's one of the reasons why chronic stress has a very classic pattern of putting on weight in the middle. Um, and it's through the impacts on growth hormones. You can't necessarily access your stored energy very well. So it's changing how we're using stored energy. Basically, we're not very well. And instead, 
we are putting on any excess energy from our meals uh, into our trunk. And this is also, right, uh, prednisone, for example, is a drug that's mimicking cortisol. So think about all of the side effects of prednisone. Those are all actions um, that cortisol has in our body. And when we're under chronic stress, we're basically giving ourselves all those side effects without the drug. Um, it's impacting bone remodeling. So that's why stress is, um, chronic stress is linked with increased risk of osteoporosis. It's impacting kidney function. Chronic stress increases your risk of chronic kidney disease by 15 times, 15 times. That is ridiculous. There's very few things. Uh, smoking only increases risk of cardiovascular disease by like 10 times. Like it's 15 times is huge. It's impacting immune function. So it's weird because it changes where the immune system is working. So think about the lion. The immune system is overactive in the skin, uh, but then underactive everywhere else, which is a problem. It's why chronic stress is basically linked with every chronic illness. It literally controls blood flow. Um, one of the big reasons why chronic stress is linked with cardiovascular disease, and it has these direct impacts on the central nervous system. Um, so it's actually impacting things like um, mood, it's increasing depression and anxiety. So when when that signal does not get turned off through all of the effects of uh, cortisol, corticotropin releasing hormone, uh, basically chronic stress is inflammatory but it also reduces immune function. So we are inflamed, but we're not able to fight off a virus as well. Um, we're inflamed and it also is going to um, decrease um, our ability to detect a cancer cell. It's because um, our immune system is also patrolling our body for cancer. It's um, That's why chronic stress is linked with autoimmune disease because it basically increases inflammation without um, making the immune system function Better. So the immune system's actually just can't, it can't regulate itself. It uh, directly causes leaky gut, increased intestinal permeability, and gut dysbiosis. It reduces sleep quality and dysregulates circadian rhythms, which impacts all kinds of systems in the body. So for example, that is increasing hunger, cravings, uh, chronic stress increases addictive behavior, it depresses mood, it increases depression and anxiety, it hinders things like um, cognitive uh, ability, product, productivity, problem-solving, memory, causes insulin resistance, as already mentioned, and causes sex hormones imbalances. So basically, every system in the body is negatively impacted by chronic stress. Um, and I think actually, you know, when I, so when I do um, presentations to business people, so uh, like entrepreneurs and people who are working for themselves and um, the have the same experience that I have in that I work much harder for myself than I probably would for a boss. Uh, that's a pretty common, uh, common phenomenon among entrepreneurs. I often talk about the importance of managing stress from a productivity standpoint because it's understanding that not taking time out of your day to work on stress management is actually reducing how much you can get done in the day. Like you're actually robbing yourself of more time by not taking that time to work on stress. And so, you know, we can talk about the impact on, on gut. It's devastating. Stress is devastating for, for gut function. We could talk about the immune system. It's devastating for the immune system. That's why it's linked with basically every chronic illness. But I think that the, the impact on how we're able to accomplish our to-do list to me is, um, for me, that resonates the most. So 
Um, it's interesting because from an acute stress perspective, right, surviving from the, surviving that lion attack, you can see an actual um, improvement in brain function, um, faster decision-making skills. Um, you, so you see this like um, burst of energy for the brain, but once when stress becomes chronic, that's one of the first things to sort of shift gears and starts reducing um, performances, includes physical performance as well for, for anybody who cares more about the, the gym than, um, than what they can get done with their brain. But um, it, it reduces uh, physical and cognitive performance and productivity. It impairs memory retrieval, so you can't necessarily uh, access information that's in your brain. It impairs memory updating, which means learning. Uh, so if you learn something new, you can't update that piece of information in your brain to reflect the new information as easily if you're under chronic stress. Um, you It causes a shift from what's called a flexible cognitive form of learning towards a rigid habit-like behavior. So instead of, for example, if you're trying to make a new healthy habit, um, chronic stress would basically stop that. So it stops you from being able to make, um, or it hinders anyway. So it inhibits the ability to make conscientious choices and shifts you towards more, um, habitual behaviors and instincts, uh, which, you know, our instincts are not always great given the stimulus in our modern society. Um, it hinders the transfer of knowledge and cognitive flexibility in problem solving. So you're not able to, um, it's not that you're you're not able to access your memories, but you also can't apply that knowledge base that's stored in your memory to the problem at hand. Um, it reduces your ability to collaborate, and I think uh, that's not a surprise to anybody because always the stressed up person in the office is the person no one wants to work with. Um, it reduces your attention, and it um, increases the time it takes to complete a task. Uh, so it actually basically reduces your productivity and uh, also has some really, um, uh, some gender different impacts on uh, risk-taking behavior. So for men, it decreases risk aversion. So men will um, partake in riskier behavior, but then it increases risk aversion in women. So chronic stress is potentially also magnifying um, gender uh, inequalities in the workplace, which is uh, kind of crazy when you start thinking about it, right? So, I mean, yes, uh, the impacts on the immune system are terrible, Um uh, corticotropin releasing hormone is strongly linked. It causes the increase of histamine. So if you're dealing with allergies or something like mast cell activation syndrome, like looking at the stress piece is really, really important. Uh, it increases the permeability of every barrier tissue in the body. So that includes gut barrier, but also like blood brain barrier. So it, it has these really detrimental effects to our physiology. So, um, you know, the, the immune system effect is is very problematic. And that's discussed at length in like all of my book, I mean, like the paleo approach, paleo principles, because, um, so much of those books, um, and my approach in general to diet and lifestyle are focused on regulating the immune system. But I think that, um, you know, our audience is pretty attuned to things to help reduce inflammation. If, uh, you're listening to this and you are, uh, like me, you know that you need to be better at managing stress and, yet you find that's a real challenge. Um, this is, I, I really want to take like a different approach to, to why, because if you can 
carve out some time during the day for resilience activities, and we'll talk about examples of that, um, it's, it can actually make it so that um, you're, you're just so much more efficient in your day that, the, that you're more than making up for that time that you're committing to a resilience activity. So I thought that was kind of a fun, different way to sort of get at the importance of um, managing stress is, uh, oh, it just makes you better at everything, like, and healthier too, but also better. Um, one of the things I mentioned, it's, it's, it's okay. It's fascinating to me because we talk so often about like the nuance of different things and you, I just want to kind of call to attention that you've just gone through a huge list of things that are so impactful that maybe you glazed over and didn't really soak in how much negative impact stress has on health. Like it is overwhelmingly and basically every aspect of your life Mm -hmm. causing incredible damage to your health. And so I think kind of the the next things that we're going to go to, we're, we're moving into are assuming that we all are there and that we understand it. But if there are aspects of different kinds of uh, partitions of these, like Sarah said, she's got more information both on her blog and in her books about how and why some of these are like we've, we have a graphic that's here in our show notes that we can probably put up in this blog post as well. But that's just a, a touch of all of the information that you can find. So if you need more motivation to change your lifestyle and whatever aspect is affecting it, I would highly encourage you to go find that. But I think what we're trying to do now is is show you that the science is unquestionably um, very solid in how negatively multitude of stress impacts people. And I think like you said, Sarah, early on, humans have a definition of stress with quotation marks (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. like it, you know, that thing doesn't apply to me, but, uh, you know, just from my own personal perspective, one of the changes that I made in my life last year was not watching television programs that caused me anxiety for the people Mm -hmm. that were in them. And it was, it was like a huge impact because I was, it was affecting my sleep that I would like have dreams and nightmares or whatever. And everybody was talking about Handmaid's Tale and how good it was. And I was like, that's just not a show I'm watching right now. (laughs) Like I just can't take that stress. (laughs) Um, And so there's, there's things that you can consider in your life that you might not associate with stress that certainly impact your body's hormonal response. And that's what we really want to kind of make sure everybody's understanding is that that is the trigger for your health. I think I think your your that segues really really well into my next point which is stress isn't just work or family dynamics. So it's generally pretty easy for us to recognize psychological stress. So deadlines, uh traffic jams, bills, um you know, are again, right. Uh, deadlines that are at our job or a teenager or <laughs> an in-law, right? Like those, those types of stressors we tend to recognize. We also tend to feel fairly powerless in terms of reducing them. So I know we're going to talk about that as well, but uh, different types of stressors compound. So I want to emphasize physical stress. So this might be something like a really vigorous workout, 
sitting at a desk job for a prolonged period of time, not getting enough sleep, other things like an injury or extreme uh, environmental temperatures, right? So if you if you work outside and it's really, really crazy hot or really, really crazy cold, those are physical stressors as well. But one of the most important things to understand when the psychological stressors feel beyond our control is that they're additive. So if you're dealing with a deadline at work, that is not a good time to be pushing it at the gym because the physical stress of your hard workout is going to magnify the effect of the psychological stress, right? So there's like this happy medium where exercise is a resilience activity and can help reduce stress, but a vigorous workout, a like endurance training or even like really heavy lifting, those things can actually, those cause increased stress. Um, not getting enough sleep is the most common physical stressor. And then it feeds into, into, uh, everything else because not getting enough sleep actually decreases our resilience to stress. And then we're more easily stressed out over whatever deadline or, or traffic or spilling coffee on our favorite blouse. And then that erodes our sleep quality. So, Um, It's really important, I think, to recognize physical stressors on top of psychological stressors. There's also chemical stressors. So I always make the assumption that nobody who listens to our podcast smokes, and I realize that uh, I should not make that assumption. Um, Smoking is an incredibly corrosive chemical stressor. Alcohol, drugs, but even something like an allergen would be a chemical stressor. As Stacey and I, before we started recording, we're talking about how we both accidentally (laughs) were glutened recently. That is a chemical stressor on our bodies. And we need to be aware of that as we're looking at managing stress. Um, Sensory stressors are also exist. So um, for example, loud noises, overcrowding, uh, very bright lights. So think about something like an airport. That is a sensory stressor from the, you know, the crowds and trying to navigate and all of the different things going on that are challenging our sensory perception, as well as a physical stressor because you're, um, you know, sitting for prolonged periods of time and, you know, you've got, and then a psychological stressor if your flight's not on time or you don't like traveling, right? So it, it will, it will, all, all of those are additive. So I think it's, it's really important when we're talking about stress to recognize that, All of these small things build up. So things like just waking up to an alarm clock is a physical stressor. So where we can reduce stress is sometimes not, I mean, we can't control typically um, our families. Um, You know, most of us need to work to pay bills and we've got bills, right? So they're like, there's certain things that that I think most of us do sort of feel, um, feel like uh, there's not uh, there's nothing I can do to reduce that stress, uh, give, given society and the way my life is structured. But there's these other places that we maybe don't recognize are contributing to our stress where we can reduce stress. Being smarter about exercise, being smarter about movement throughout the day, prioritizing a bedtime, um, thinking about um, what we're putting into our bodies and if any of those things are a chemical stressor, right? So, um so really thinking about stress in this more comprehensive way, I think, is a really important aspect of not just recognizing how stress is impacting our bodies negatively, but recognizing what stress we each as individuals are facing. 
I've got nothing to add. <laughs> I know you paused for me, but I think I think you pointed out such great examples. Um, for example, sensory stressors someone might not consider. Um, I think everybody knows that. Um, maybe the only other thing I would add is is emotional stress. I know that mm-hmm. you said um, that falls under but, psychological. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think like for us. Um, the loss of Matt's brother two years ago, and then, you know, my back injury, both huge stressors, um, were the cause of a lot of changes in our lives and created stress for me beyond, you know, what I had before. And that's why kind of building up and going into those years with those stresses still existing, um, it's kind of like running in the background. Like you don't actively think, oh, those things are already stressed. And therefore, you know, this one little straw is actually going to break the camel. Um, and that is definitely what was happening for me. And so I wasn't getting enough sleep on a regular basis, but then it was like a, it was like a baseline that was already too low as it was, but then I would have certain days where I would get a lot less sleep or I'd be extra stressed and I'd toss and turn and not get good sleep or, you know, different things like that. And that is where I think our lives take us where we're not, I mean, we're aware that it's happening, but not to a degree of like, whoa, I need to stop. And I need to think like, what can I do to get myself to bed early tonight? Or what can I do to, you know, whatever. And I think we're going to, go into a little bit of, um, reducing stress. But, um, what I want to point out is, you know, for example, a lot of the questions that I was getting around new moms and the sleep that they have and, you know, what can you do? Because you're obviously all of the sudden going to get much less quality sleep. And the answer is, you know, the same thing that people have been saying for, as many years as I'm aware, like sleep when the baby sleeps. Right. Yeah. And when people Pretty ask much since the beginning of language, exactly. Um, and when people offer to help you take them up on it, don't be polite, tell them to do the dishes or to fold the laundry and put it away. Or, you know, the things that you need that are stresses in your life that are just like those nagging things in the back of your mind, like, Oh God, that messy closet. For Mm -hmm. some people, that is a stress. And every time you see it and every time you think about it, it's like this noise that's running in the background. it's more stressful than the time it would take to clean it. Yep. Yep. I'm like that. I'm I'm a person who, um, like I could take a day off and like do something really amazing that would fall, be considered a resilience activity. But the longer to-do list is more stress for me than the benefits I would get from the resilience activity for like, I'm thinking like a spa day or a day on the beach, right? Like something like that. I'm a person who, I mean, I have to incorporate resilience activities into my everyday. Um, but I, I, the best way that I can manage my stress is to actually get stuff done. And I think a lot of how we manage stress is individualized because it, it stress impacts us all differently and, um, how we can each best handle stress is, is all sort of like, it's a, it's an individual uh, challenge to sort of problem solve. But I do want to add 
that a lot of what we're dealing with at a, at a society level right now in terms of stress, right? Uh, not just um, the tribalism that we're seeing right now, but uh, the lack of tight-knit communities. Um, you know, whenever I see somebody who's like, they, they live in a small town or their neighborhood and they have neighborhood parties and like all of these things, that reminds me so much of my childhood, but it's not something that's the norm anymore. So the whole like, um, all of the moms on the street take turns watching all of the kids so that the other moms can get a break. Like that used to be the norm and it's, it's not anymore. If you have that, um, I hope you appreciate it because it's, it's, it's unusual now. And I think that a lot of the stress that we deal with, and I, I don't have a solution for this, but a lot of it I think is how isolated so many of us feel and how like social media which is supposed to keep us all connected actually magnifies feelings of isolation rather than providing actual connection right and it's i i i don't i don't have any like magic solutions because all of these things it's like a cost benefit and here's here's the cost part but obviously there's great benefits to things like the internet um but i think that part of our challenge as a society as a whole is how far we've gotten from um, being members of these like tight knit communities and community support and raising children by community. Um, and, and that real um, close human connection. And those are things that are, it's not just that it's contributing to all of our stress, but it's also, um, removing a tool that we used to have for stress management. That's such a good point. I think also culturally, families used to live multi-generationally in the same home and help each other out and, you know, think how much easier it would be in terms of meal planning and shopping and childcare and all of that stuff if you had more people in the house to share those responsibilities. Yeah. So um, the more you can do to... Focus on those things where when you think to yourself, oh, you know what I mean? Like when you just try to be aware, maybe just have a piece of paper that you take around with you in your pocket for the day um, or for the week and like write down the moments where you were just feeling like, oh, you know, like just, oh, mm -hmm. I don't want to do that. And then take a, a look at your life and think how you can potentially either replace those or delegate those or reduce those. Or deal with them right away so that they don't become something long-term that provides ongoing stress for you. Good. Good tip. Just don't procrastinate. I mean, a tip, tip. a tip that I had um, from someone in January and became, I don't really do resolutions, but it became something where I was like, I really want to focus on doing this more is emails. Like emails is one of those things that really like overwhelm and frustrate me. I'm a super organized person. And when emails come in and they're things that I need to like take time to do. I can't just respond to someone right away. I need to, you know, think about it or I need go to do the thing and go to exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, it frustrates me because they just like sit in my inbox and I want my inbox to be clean and organized. And so emails create that like, uh, for me, you and should not look at my inbox then. Okay. I will use the should word, but uh, I understand I, that I other meant, people... I meant oh. the should word right there. <laughs> don't look at my inbox. I understand that other people don't have that same level of stress from... Like, they don't see it the same way I see it, which I don't 
judge other people. My phone, if you look at my phone, has like 5,000 notifications on all the apps. I don't see that. It doesn't bother me. And I know that it does for other people. For me, the number in my inbox. And I get stressed feeling like I'm not being responsive to someone and that I might lose something and forget something. Like all of those things stress me out. And so what I've started doing is trying not to look at my inbox until I'm able to be responsive. I think that's mm. like a number one thing that's been helpful for me is, you know, I used to always just like frequently check it. And and then all it was doing was creating this need for me to like feel like I needed to respond. Right. And so my point is I didn't have to change how much email I was getting, although I did unsubscribe from a lot of things. Um, but it was the way that I was handling that, that enabled me to reduce my stress because the email is still there and I'm still going to be responsive in the same amount of time that I was. I just reduced the amount of stress that I had in between that time when I could be responsive. So that's just my personal example. In addition to really, it's a lot more practical than quitting your job. Yes. Yes. I, um, and I think that those types of tips. So like one of the things that I do is I batch my time. So, um, I was finding a sort of, as my audience, um, increased as my team got bigger. So there's more, uh, people for me to manage. Um, and I'm a, I'm a big ideas person. This isn't going to surprise any of our regular listeners. So I always have way too many projects on the go that is actually reasonable for me to accomplish at any given time, because I always have, there's always so much I'm really excited to do. And so as the work part of being an author and a blogger and a public speaker and an educator and a podcaster, as, as that part increased, um, I was, you know, like I would have my, um, you know, Facebook page up in this tab and my email up in this tab. And then the uh, research that I was doing in these six tabs, because they're all right, different papers, whatever that I'm reading. And then my Word document for my book up over here, my Word document for the next blog post over here. And like, I, I would have all of these different things up on my computer at once. And it was really easy to just click and be like, and I'll just check my email or I'll just um, see if uh, anyone asked questions on that recent social media post um, or I'll write, I'll, I'll work on the writing for this and the writing for this at the same time. And then I'll also work on some research for the next podcast. And it became like I was trying to do too many things at once that it, I was so easily distracted by whatever was open in the other window or on that other tab. And that it really became what I had to do was start a schedule for myself. So not just a to-do list for the day, but I'm going to work on this from this time to this time and this from this time to this time. And that included returning phone calls, returning emails, talking to my team um, so that my time is batched and I'm basically working on one task at a time. And then I'm much more efficient. And sometimes it's just like here, I just need this 10 minutes um, but this is all I'm doing for this 10 minutes. And then I've got this hour. And so when I'm working on the book now, I have everything else closed. My phone's on do not disturb. Like everything else can wait. Obviously, if something goes wrong with the school, the school can get through that. Um, and then I could go pick up a sick kid or whatever. But um, but I've made it so that um, everything that I do has its own carved out focused time. And just in terms of managing work stress. Um, that has, that has been very, very helpful because my brain is focused on one task at a time. Um, and then also I have found that incorporating movement into my work so that my work stress is not compounded by sitting all day. Um, you know, we've talked about treadmill desks on the show before 
but that has been another, um, another really important strategy for me to just, and I don't, it's not that I walk on my treadmill desk all the time. Um, there's only certain types of, uh, tasks that I do where walking really works. And there's other things where I just, I need to be able to twist my body and look over on the side of my desk. Um, or I need to be able to have more fine motor skills. Um, so there's other things that I do standing, but being able to incorporate movement has been another huge strategy. This is still, I think, all all under the umbrella of reducing stress. Make sense? Absolutely. And um, it is a lot of those things are also um, skills that I've incorporated. And since being home, um, I've been able to use the treadmill desk more. I think the thing for me was um, a shoe issue. Like with my back, I have to wear like supportive shoes, period. Anything, even like a flat, a work flat would not work. Um, and so I was like, I don't want to take off my shoes and they'll be stinky. Um, and I couldn't wear tennis shoes into the office. And I, this one time I got called into like this fancy meeting and I had my, on my tennis shoes from the walking desk. So um, it became this thing that I didn't use. And that's another one of the things that I started doing more of. And we're talking about, at least from me, when my walk, my walking pace is somewhere between one and two miles per hour. Like we're, this is Mine not. Mine is 1.7. Yeah. Precisely 1.7 miles an hour. And, and so. Up to that. Exactly. Yes. And, and so we're not talking about like, this is your, this is exercise. your workout it's for the day. It's not exercise. It's, it's movement and gentle movement is a wonderful way to keep your body active without adding stress. So, all right, you have, you have a list of, of different kinds of, we're talking about reducing stress, but we also have some resilience Resilience. things we want to share, right? Yeah. So, um, I think when it comes to managing stress, right, there's two sides to the equation, reducing stress wherever we can, right? Ask for help, delegate, uh, say no, um, and, and, uh, you know, and problem solve ways that you can be smarter about things, right? So identifying how, what are your stressors and what you can do, like not reading the email until you know you're going to have time to respond to it. So it's not sitting there in the back of your brain. So that all falls under the banner of reducing stress. There's this whole other piece, which is increasing our resilience to stress, which means that the stressful thing doesn't have as big a physiological impact on our body. So our bodies literally are not responding as, as big to that thing, right? So that thing just basically loses a little bit of its impact. So we're more resilient to that stressor. So there are, you know, uh, resilience is a thing that is defined in psychology. It um, includes very uh, various psychosocial characteristics. This is things like positive thinking and humor and self-confidence, um, being a planner, uh, positive risk-taking as opposed to negative risk-taking, realistic optimism. There's all of these character traits that basically will determine your baseline resilience, but you can build that. So, um, you know, one of the things here is uh, identifying the need for, um, let's say therapy, right? Some kind of, uh, we've talked about things like treatments for PTSD on the show before. So that kind of falls under this resilience banner, but then for, um, let's say the, um, average person who, um, doesn't necessarily have a, um, thing that is reducing their resilience, 
um, but just doesn't have a good balance between stressors and resilience and, and can work on building up resilience. Uh, there's really three things that I think are the most important to focus on that can increase our resilience to stress. One is prioritizing sleep. So we've already talked about the sleep stress um, snowball of badness. Um, so making sure that that we're sleeping on a regular schedule. So that means going having a bedtime, even as adults, going to bed at the same time every single night and getting enough sleep is probably the single best thing we can do to improve our resilience to stress. Um, movement and activity. So uh, not overtraining, not vigorous training, but basically living an active lifestyle. So that can involve going for a walk in the evenings or during lunch break, um, incorporating movement throughout the day. Um, so there's a lot of studies showing that um, activity uh, sort of sub 60% VO2 max. So that would generally for most people considered mild, maybe mild, moderate level activity. So uh, brisk walk level, conversational pace. So a level of activity where you can chit chat the whole time. So I, I, you know, I will sometimes have workouts at the gym where I'm just biking like 25K on a stationary bike with my trainer and we're just like chatting the whole time. It's basically like an exercise tea party without the tea. Um, that level of, um, of intensity actually can reduce cortisol. And pretty much as soon as you get to about 60% VO2 max, you're increasing cortisol secretion. So you're adding a physical stressor. So movement in that sort of mild zone and basically the, the more the merrier at that point. So uh, going, going for a walk for, you know, 20 or 30 minutes is great, but you could also go for two hours. So provided it's in that very it's not a physical stress. It's a conversational piece. It's the type of pace that you can do forever without it ever building up. Um, that is a really amazing tool. And there's ways that you can incorporate that movement, right? So we talked about a treadmill desk, or you can get desk cycles, desk ellipticals. There's other movement um, solutions for, for work spaces. Um, but wherever that you can sort of incorporate that into your life is going to be helpful. Obviously, if you compare that with nature and get the benefits of nature, that's going to be even better because nature also reduces stress, you know, lowers your blood pressure, um, improves immune function. And that's the entire stimulus of nature. So the sights, the sounds, the, the smells, right? The sensations, like all of those things collectively help to calm the HPA axis. Um, but there's ways that you can incorporate movement in a more, um, let's say, efficient way uh, with the to-do list in mind. So that's number two. So sleep, uh, activity, and the other one is mindfulness practice, um, some kind of meditation. Now, um, Stacey and I have talked about this on the show before. Um, meditation can look very different for a lot of people depending on what resonates with you. So for some people, it can be as simple as um working on a breathing exercise that takes your attention. So if you do something like count to four, both your um, inhale and your exhale, that's not a normal uh, breathing cadence. So it requires focus. And then you're not focusing on the to-do list that email, you know, you have to reply to whatever it is. Um, and studies show that that doing some kind of mindfulness practice as little as 10 or 15 minutes a day has a really big impact on our resilience to stress. Um, for some people, uh, it might be better to do a guided meditation, an app like Headspace or Calm or Insight Timer, um, or it might be listening to uh, like new age, theta wave type music. 
There are a lot of biohack devices on the market now, some of which have some science and some of which have absolutely zero science to support them that are sort of designed to get your brain into these meditative theta wave, alpha wave type states. Um, there's also nature walks can be very meditative, um, something like a yoga class, uh, tai chi, um, martial arts are considered a form of active meditation. Um, so there's ways that you can sort of incorporate meditation. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to incorporate meditation. So finding something that resonates with you and trying different things until you find the thing that um, you find uh, enjoyable and that when you finish, you feel more at peace. Um, you feel like your to-do list is more manageable, right? That is that is the ideal situation at the end. And also uh, a lot of mindfulness practices um, involves self-reflection, self-awareness, and that piece can help with the stress reduction, right? So as you are able to better identify um, and associate physical feelings with certain thoughts, which is part of mindfulness practice, that can help you go like, aha, whenever I think about this, I feel, you know, my heart rate increases, I feel more stressed. Uh, maybe this is a thing that I need to work on from a reduction piece. So mindfulness has a lot of science behind it. Um, it's a it's a very good strategy. And it's another thing that comes out of how our society is is structured differently now. We tend not to get a break. We've got the entire world uh, in a smartphone in our pockets now. And we tend not to unplug. We tend not to have empty space in our day where we're just in our own thoughts. And mindfulness is basically a structured way to, to replace that, that time that used to be spent, you know, driving with no podcast on. Not that I want anyone who's driving right now listening to this podcast to turn it off, but in the olden days, it wasn't even an option um, going for a walk without the phone, right? So those, those types of things, we can also think about uh, oldie timey uh, life and how we can incorporate a little bit of that as a meditative practice as well. Wesley also calls days without a cell phone, the olden days, <laughs> the olden days. Yep. So, so does, I mean, does, so he like loses his cell phone privilege and he's like, I'm living in the olden days. Oh, Wesley doesn't have cell phones. No, he just like refers to, he's, uh, he's of an age where he doesn't, he's not able to quantify how long ago technology was like, he's, he's so young. Whereas Cole, five years older, has a sense of it a bit. You know what I mean? Anyway, so did, any did any I... time before technology is like antique olden days. That's what he calls it. So go uh, back me... to the olden days with your with your de-stressing. You know what the other thing is? The last tip for de-stressing? Figure out how to meal plan better with ButcherBox. I think ButcherBox is a wonderful way to reduce stress. <laughs> I agree. Honestly, I uh, we talked about sensory stressors at a grocery store. There's nothing more calming to me than when I go to my doorstep and I have the things that I need without having to go anywhere. So uh -huh. if you are interested in getting $15 off and free bacon from your first ButcherBox, you can go to butcherbox.com slash the paleo view and you can choose to get any size box and a regular or a custom or whatever it is that you'd like to do. And it will give you that $15 off and a free bacon in your box. We want to thank you listeners so much for supporting us when we do have sponsors on this show. As you know, we did not have sponsors for a very long time. And Sarah 
And her team and myself have worked hard to get sponsors that we genuinely use and love. You can be assured that anything that we talk about in this show is because we personally use and and love it and believe in what they're doing. And so um, if you ever have any questions, we're here. You can reach out, social media, email, and all that kind of stuff. But uh, both of us love this service and we think Mm -hmm. you will too. So thank you again, ButcherBox, for sponsoring this episode. And thank you to all of our listeners for listening. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. Hello? Hey, that's my fault. I'm sorry. What happened? I started coughing and I went to hit the mute button, but I hung up on you instead. I'm like, what? I talk for one minute and you're going <laughs> to hang up on me? I was, I was having a coughing fit. <laughs> okay. And I, I was like reaching for the button really quickly so that I wouldn't interrupt you. And then it was like a way worse interruption. I apologize. <laughs> Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.